Hello and welcome back. In this episode, we discuss the Persians. We're going to discuss Persian politics, especially uh, our main man, Cyrus. And we are going to uh, get into the Persian military, perhaps in this episode or the next. So, where we left off was the end of the Assyrian Empire. The breakup of the Mesopotamian world into basically four major parts, Asia Minor, Egypt, Mesopotamia, Babylon, and now Media, M-E-D-I-A, much of modern-day Iran. Uh, though it extends from uh, the Caucasus Mountains through Iran all the way into uh, Afghanistan. So, the winner of the fighting, the 75 years of fighting that is going to happen between those four major components, is Persia. Persia is going to unite all those parts. Which makes no sense. Why? Well, because the Persians aren't one of those four parts. The Persians are the Medians' little cousins. Came with them over the Caucasus Mountains, out of Central Asia, as a nomadic horse-riding people. How do they make the largest empire in the ancient world? There are some estimates that 25% of humanity lived under the great king of Persia. How did that happen? And how does it last for about 200 years, 250 years? So, we have the Persian Empire, which is going to last from 550 BCE to 322 BCE. It is going to go from Europe, Asia Minor, Mesopotamia, Egypt, Iran, all the way out to Afghanistan and Uzbekistan and the part where the Middle East turns into Central Asia. The major reason why this happens is because of Cyrus. C-Y-R-U-S. Cyrus the Great. Now, repeat after me, ladies and gentlemen. Cyrus. No, I mean it. Repeat after me. Cyrus is the man. Because Cyrus is the man. Now, our course is going to deal with several major people. We've already dealt with Hammurabi. Cyrus is one of the few of these guys who is the man. Who's this awesome? Everybody likes Cyrus. He has an origin story. He overthrows his grandfather because his grandfather got a um, dream, a prophecy, that his daughter was going to give birth to a monster that would take over the world. And so the grandfather tried to keep this prophecy from happening. 
He tried to kill the baby. Well, first he tried to marry off his daughter to a nobody, a noble Persian, you know, some lesser minor leaguer noble guy who couldn't like believe his luck, but he was a Persian. And so there was no way he would take over media. And then when his daughter gave birth to a son, he tried to have that son murdered. When that didn't work, or he, he actually thought it did work, in fact, Cyrus is um, taken by the murderer to a couple of farmers, and he doesn't want to murder the baby, so he goes to the farmer and says, you murdered a baby. And the farmer dude says, all right, I, I guess so. I don't want to do that. And the noble guy says, well, you better, the assassin noble guy says, you better or I'll murder you. And so the farmer says, okay, we'll come back tomorrow. And the guy says, fine. And he goes home, and it turns out his wife had just had a miscarriage, had just had a stillborn birth. And the wife, being smart, says, hey, look at what the gods have given us. They, gave, they took our, our baby, and they've given us a baby. So we just give the dead baby, as sad as that is, to the noble guy, we get the live baby. Everybody's happy. So the farmers commit the ruse on the noble guy, the noble assassin. The noble assassin commits the ruse on the grandfather king, and everything goes on. Great. The problem is, is that Cyrus has king's blood in him, which makes him awesome. He's like Superman in high school. He can do everything better than everybody else. He is simultaneously the best running back, quarterback, and wide receiver. I mean, simultaneously, he like hikes it to him. He, he, he gets the ball. He throws it to himself. He then runs it. He is. He leads in all categories. The king takes notice of this wonderful youth. Says, come on in. Let me train you. You're awesome realizes that this is his grandson goes to the noble assassin guy and says what you didn't kill him ends up killing the noble assassin's son and feeding him to the noble assassin then makes war on Cyrus Cyrus escapes back down to Persia rallies the Persians fights a battle kills his grandfather So he's got, he's got an origin story. Like the Greeks wrote this down. People knew this. How many people get an origin story? Even Jesus only got two out of the four books did he get an origin story. So he's, he's important enough that people created tales about how he could be so awesome like Superman. Now he wins his war against his grandfather, he kills his grandfather in battle, and now he does something completely different from the Assyrians. Now the Assyrians, like I said, would have beaten you up, kicked your teeth in, 
and then lit you on fire. Cyrus doesn't do that. He marries a Median princess. He takes as his wife a Median princess. He combines the Persians and the Medians. Rather than destroy them, rather than burn them down, rather than enslave them, he unites with them. And since he does this, his Persian nobles do this. And so the Medes and the Persians become so intermixed that it actually becomes a, a Greek joke. That when, 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 like you say, um, six of one, half a dozen of the other, meaning it's the same freaking thing, it doesn't really matter. That's what they would say. They would say, one man's Mede is another man's Persian. In fact, Herodotus calls the Persians the Medes, and the Medes the Persians. He uses them almost interchangeably. Um, and so, for all intents and purposes, they do. This shows things are going to be different. So he overthrows his grandfather. He has an origin story. He marries a Median, M-E-D-I-A-N, princess, meaning rather than killing people, he combines with them. He unites with them. Three, he is a great conqueror. Remember, kings in this day and age got to be great because they conquered people. And he can do that. Yeah, he's nice. And we'll talk about that. But he could still beat you up. And he will conquer uh, Babylon, B-A-B-Y-L-O-N, Babylon, but also Asia Minor, the kingdom of Lydia, L-Y-D-I-A. He'll conquer the Lydians. So he's a great conqueror. He married a Median princess. He overthrows his grandfather, which is an origin story. I mean, the grandfather was trying to kill him. He's perfectly allowed to do that. And he's also a messiah. What? Yep. He's a messiah. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, which is what a messiah means. Messiah means anointed. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whom he has taken by his right hand to subdue nations before him and strip the loins of kings to force gateways before him that their gates be closed no more. I will go before you leveling the heights. The heights is really kind of the mountains of Tarsus that separate um, Mesopotamia from Asia Minor. I will shatter the bronze gateways, a clear reference to Babylon, smash the iron bars, I will give you the hidden treasures, the secret hoards, and that you may know that I am the Lord. Isaiah 45, 1-3. Boom. Mic drop. Now think about this. Think about this for a moment. What is a Messiah? A Messiah is a person. In this case, it can be lots of things. Anointed can mean lots of things. But when we talk about Messiah, we really mean the people. And there's about 11 or so people who are named Messiah in the Old Testament. Ten of them have something in common, and one doesn't. We'll talk about that in a second. 
So Messiah, M-E-S-S-I-A-H. A Messiah is a person sent by the Jewish God to save the Jewish people. Makes total sense. A Messiah is a person sent by the Jewish God to save the Jewish people. Makes sense. I'm with you. Wait a minute. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, his Messiah, to Cyrus, whom he has taken by his right hand. Wait, wait, wait. Cyrus is a Persian, a polytheistic Persian who does not worship the Jewish God, doesn't really believe in the power of the Jewish God, doesn't really care for the Jewish people. And he gets to be a Messiah? Well, this brings us to our ten things that the people had in common. Ten of the eleven Messiahs are Jews, sent to save the Jewish people. There's only one who's not, and that's Cyrus. And that is awesome PR. The Jews call him a Messiah. Why? Because he frees the Hebrews from Babylonian captivity, and then he rebuilds the temple. The second temple, Herod's temple, the temple Jesus becomes Kung Fu Jesus in, was originally rebuilt by a Persian king. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whom he has taken by his right hand. Now that's important, because if you're a Christian, who sits at the right hand of the Father? Who sits at the right hand of Jehovah, of God? The right hand is the strong hand. So when you take something by your right hand, you're taking it in importance, in strength. So when you take, when the, when the Lord takes Cyrus by his right hand, so when you take some something or somebody by the right hand, you're saying you're homeboys. You're part of a crew. That's a big deal. So, so everybody likes Cyrus. Everybody likes Cyrus, and Cyrus is so awesome, he even has a body wash. You can go on Amazon and get the Zir, Z-I-R-H, warrior collection of Cyrus. It smells like citrus, which makes sense for the citrus groves of Mesopotamia. He's awesome. Why? Why does everyone like Cyrus? He's a conqueror. How is he different from all these other guys? Well, we already saw it. He's nice. Unlike the Assyrians, for 300 years, people have been beaten up, abused, and terrorized by the Assyrians. That was the way government now worked. Cyrus changes that. He's nice. How? Well, the first thing he did was marry the Medians says, I'm not going to destroy you. I'm going to absorb you. I'm going to be part of you. We're going to, we're going to be, we're going to be relations. We're going to be together. Second thing he does is let kings remain kings. The king of Lydia, the king of Babylon, remain kings. 
yeah, the king of Babylon and the king of Lydia fought against him. And he defeated them. And then he said, hey, you're going to be my governor to the Lydians, to the Babylonians. What effect does that have? It makes these guys loyal. Because you know what kings like to be? They like to be kings. They don't like to be dead. And remember what we talked about with the Assyrians? Remember the quote I read about how he they dug up the bones of old kings and they murdered all their princes and they... Cyrus is like, dude, you get to keep it all. You just have to send me 10%. Now Cyrus takes the title King of Kings, which makes sense. He's a king. He's beating up other kings, and he tells other kings what to do. That's great. So he's a king of kings. And you, if you're a Christian, you know that title. Now, that's an old title. It goes back at least to Sargon, if not before. Of um, Sargon is in 2250 BC. It is an old Mesopotamian title because they didn't have a word for emperor in the old Sumerian. So they said, well, I'm a king. And you're a king, but I tell you what to do, which means I'm a king. I am your king, but I am your king, which makes me a king of a king. Ha ha. Now, Christians, of course, will say, well, that's Jesus. And kind of end the use of that title. There is no king of kings anywhere in the Middle East anymore. But the important part is Cyrus is nice. He lets kings keep their jobs. All they have to do is be loyal. And since he, he can beat them up and he let them keep their jobs the first time, you, you don't want to mess with the second time. And so they do. They do remain loyal. Two, he returns enslaved people's homes to home. That's the Hebrews. The Hebrews had been beaten up by the Babylonians. Remember we talked about the wars between Babylon and Asia Minor and Media and Egypt? Well, there's a war between Egypt and Babylon. And one of the great conquerors of history, a guy we, we haven't talked about, and he's not one day when we do a nice ancient Middle Eastern Mesopotamian history class, we'll do more on him. But our dude Nebuchadnezzar comes rolling down, has a war against Egypt, it comes rolling down, and you should know that Jerusalem is on the way to Egypt. It comes rolling through. The Hebrews had aligned with the Egyptians, because the Egyptian pharaoh was closer. And so the Egyptians call the Hebrews call up the Egyptian pharaoh and say, Hey, we've got Babylonians coming at us. You have to come and protect us. Come out of your desert. And the pharaoh says, Well, what? The connection's really harsh. I can't really get you. Speak louder. Um, why don't you text me? Yeah, just, uh, um, yeah. Good luck with that. And what happens is Nebuchadnezzar rolls in and obliterates Jerusalem, tears down most of the city, tears down the temple, carts off most of the people, destroys the place, does what the Assyrians had threatened to do to Jerusalem, but never did. And this is what's called the Babylonian captivity. Now, we're going to talk about this. This is a big deal when we're in the Hebrew section. So, so for 75 years or so, a generation and a half, the Hebrews are enslaved in Babylon. And when Cyrus shows up and conquers Babylon, 
he does a kind of National Geographic because everybody lives in Babylon. So he's like, who are you? And who are you? And who are you? And who are you? Oh, we're the Hebrews from Judea. He's like, well, what are you doing here? Oh, we got enslaved by Nebuchadnezzar about 50, 60 years ago. Well, do you want to go home? Yeah, but we have no money. How about I give you money? We don't have any carts. I'll give you carts. I'll give you horses. We'll send you home. That's great. Um, but Mr. Cyrus, sir, we had a we had a city. It wasn't a big city like this, but it was it was a pretty good city. How about I rebuild it? Would you like that? I'll give you the money. I'll give you the architects. We'll give you the stone. I mean, you do a lot of the work, but we'll do it. We'll help you. That would be great, Mr. Cyrus, sir. You're so amazing. Um, but I I hate to ask this one last thing. What is it? What is it? Little Hebrews, you're so cute. We had a temple. Was it a big temple? In fact, it was because we only have one God. Um, yeah, anytime you want to stop laughing, Mr. Cyrus, sir, it's totally cool. We're, we're, we're totally with you. We know it's funny. One God, how does one God compete with all the other gods? But And why, we keep losing, so why should we worship the one God? But we do, and he is, and it's ours, and it's the thing we do. It makes us us. Um, so we had a big temple, and we'd like to rebuild it. Well, that sounds like a great idea. How about I give you stone? I'll give you architects. Here, you could copy some of our... Babylonian architecture. It's pretty awesome. Let's do it. Let's build a temple again. Let's build Jerusalem and let's send you home. What do you think the Hebrews think about the Persians? They love the Persians. They don't revolt against the Persians. They join the army. They get a new temple. They get a new city. They return home. Cyrus is nice. Cyrus gets to be called the Messiah. Now, for those of you who really know your Old Testament, you'll be like, wait a minute. There's the whole story of Esther about how a Persian king wanted to murder all the Jews and she stopped it. Well, first, it's a story. That's not history. And the Bible isn't history to start off with. But that is a particular, the, the story of Esther is a particular morality tale. It's not part of Chronicles. And is itself based upon Babylonian stories. There's nothing, absolutely nothing historical that says, one, the Persians wanted to commit genocide on the Hebrews, or two, that the two had any kind of beefs. In fact, the Hebrews are going to fight with the Persians right up until the point where Alexander comes rolling through 
And let's face it, when Alexander comes rolling through, what are you going to do? Three, there's even the story of the Magi in the New Testament of how Jesus being born and the three wise men and the Magi come by. Well, who were those guys? They're Zoroastrian priests. They're Persians that show up. Why? What? what we? Why would Persians from the east show up in Jerusalem and then Bethlehem? Why? If there wasn't some linkage of friendliness between these two people. So, I, this, is, this became a big deal. The story of Esther became a big deal because when Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of, of Israel, met with Barack Obama, he gave him the story of Esther as kind of a warning. Look at these Iranians. They've always wanted to kill all of us. Well, he left out the whole part about Cyrus. He left out the, the you get to go home, you get to rebuild the temple, you get to rebuild the city, you get to be uh, elevated as a people, you're not slaves anymore. It's, it's, I got to tell you, that's pretty disingenuous. To be like, look, we have this story about, about, about how the Persians were mean to us, but we're going to ignore all the other evidence about how the Persians were good to us and how we like them and we work together. We're going to just ignore that stuff. Now, ancient Persia is not modern Iran. The religion is different. The society is different. The culture is different. 2,500 years has passed. But Israel and Iran also have a very long history, right up to 1979, of working together, of not having the problems. Iran does not participate in any of the wars against Israel. Not in 47, 48, not in 56, not in 68, not in 72. In fact, under the Shah from the mid-50s to 1979, Iran was Israel's best friend that wasn't the United States. Certainly the best friend in the Middle East. Because remember, the Persians, the Iranians are Persian. They're not Arabs. And the fight the Israel had wasn't with so much Islam as with Arabs, Arab states. And so this is why you can't say, oh, look, it's just like today. It doesn't work. Too much time has passed. There's too many ingredients. There's too many reasons why things are different. They're not. History does not repeat. It looks similar. It rhymes. It covers itself.
So, so let's go back to Cyrus. So Cyrus is nice. He lets kings be kings. He lets enslaved peoples go home. The Hebrews are the most famous. He rebuilds cities, Jerusalem. He shares knowledge. He hires the best and the brightest. Now, he becomes the template for this. So other Persian kings after him are going to act the same way. And we get Darius, D-A-R-I-U-S, or Darius, if you're more English, who builds Persepolis, P-E-R-S-E-O-P-L-I-S. So Darius, D-A-R-I-U-S, builds Persepolis, P-E-R-S-E-O-P-L-I-S, the city of the Persians. Darius will build Persepolis. And what will he do? Will he use slave labor like the Assyrians? No. He hires the best and the brightest. Greek mosaic artists, uh, Lebanese woodworkers, bring them on in. Hey, Egyptian architects, you know what you're building. You got big buildings. You got those super huge pyramids. I know it was 3,000 years earlier, but come on in. We'll hire you. So... What this did was combine people, because now you're at Persepolis, you're in the middle of Persia, 1,800 miles away from Europe, and you meet all of these different people, and you're like, hey, where are you from? Oh, I'm a 1,000 miles to the east. Where Did you get conquered by Cyrus? Oh, yeah, it was awesome. He was so nice. He took us out for tea afterwards. It was, I highly recommend getting conquered by Cyrus. I got conquered by Cyrus too. Yeah, where are you? I'm a thousand miles to the west. Wow. So the Persians own everything in between? It was a way of showing off the power of the Persians without having to beat people up. You bring them together. They share knowledge. And you can show off the power by simply showing how cosmopolitan it is. Which brings us to Persepolis. Let's talk about Persepolis. It's a huge city. It's built to awe, A-W-E, awe people. Remember, this Babylon. And if you live in a world of Babylon, which is a giant city, you're not important until you have a giant city. Why, why do people today, why do countries today want to build giant buildings? Why? Because Chicago built skyscrapers and New York said, ha, 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 we're going to build more. And then they built more. And Paris said, well, we'll build an erector set, but it's awesome. We don't need skyscrapers, but we got a giant erector set we'll see from everywhere. And everybody's going to like that, except if you're French, then you don't like it so much. But everybody else is going to like it. And then more cities say, well, we're important, so we're going to build skyscrapers, whether or not we need people in them. And so today, you want to show off? You want to have the tallest building in the world. Well, that's the same mentality in Mesopotamia. There is a giant city called Babylon. If you want to be an important people, you need a giant city. The the Hebrews will build Jerusalem. It's not quite, it's nowhere near as big as, as Babylon because it's not a cosmopolitan city with full of lots of different people. It's mostly full of just Hebrews, but that's okay. It's built on the same model. Assyria will build Nineveh. The Persians will build Persepolis. Notice the Egyptians who aren't Mesopotamian don't need a giant city. 
They're different. They got the big old river. They got pyramids. They don't have an Alexandria. Alexander will build that. And that will be the great cosmopolitan city of Egypt. The Egyptians are different, but they're Egyptian. They're not Mesopotamian. So they're not tied to the same bragging rights as Mesopotamian peoples are. So Persepolis is a huge city in which the best workers will be well paid to build it. And the idea of this is, as I spoke, to connect different peoples of the empire. If you all of these people are showing up, the Persians must be great. So what's the problem? What's the problem with this? What's the problem with being nice? Why isn't everybody nice? Why weren't the Assyrians nice? Well, because sometimes niceness is mistaken for weakness. People get the idea that you're soft because you're not being mean. Because you compromise. Because if you think of the other side and you go, oh, I can take advantage of that. I'm a professor. This happens all the time. Do you know how many people have killed their grandmas just to get out of a test? Just say, Grandma, you're dead. Not in reality. But in the story. Just thought, just said, you know what? I don't want to take the test. Grandma's got to die. I had at least one person that I caught kill Grandma twice. Think about that. Why? Because I'm nice. I try to be nice. I treat you like adults. And then people come along and say, ha ha, I will take advantage of that niceness. And then what do I have to do? You see the syllabus. Syllabus is 15 pages long. Look at all the rules that have to happen. Why the rules have to happen? Why do I have to put in to not play with Rubik's Cubes in the middle of class and pass it around? Why? Because somebody did that. Because actually a whole group of people did that. Why? Why? Because they looked at me and said, eh, he's nice, he's, not, he's weak. And so, what the Persians are going to have to do is remind people who might revolt, who might get out of the, who might get out of the line, who might forget that the Persians are the Persians that might mistake weakness for uh, niceness for weakness. The Persians are going to build the largest army humanity will ever will see for the next 2,500 years. It will take Napoleon and the French Revolution and the Levy en masse in order to, to reach that size again. So in our next episode, we're going to talk about the Persian army.